Welcome to the Young Adult Ministry Podcast. The Podcast. Where we discuss everything you need to know and perhaps some things you don't about how to fail forward in young adult ministry. These monthly podcasts discuss culture topics, interview guests, cover books, and rift on anything else that we feel like is relevant. Hello, my name is Kenny. I live in the Boise, Idaho area where I'm the volunteer director with my local church, Young Adult Ministry. And I'm Chris in Cincinnati, Ohio. I'm on staff with University Christian Fellowship as a church engagement catalyst and the National Coordinator for Campus Mission, which is an outreach of the Church of the Nazarene to college and university students. And I'm Jeremy in Nashville, Tennessee, where I serve as the university pastor and community engagement pastor at Trebekah Community Church. And, and here, here we, we go. Here we go. Go. Yamcast hmm. 2022. Wow. We took a little hiatus. It's fine. No one knew. It's good to be back. I would say, guys, though, that I've been I've been monitoring the um, reading section only from our November first uh, podcast. So just the just the part where we discussed the chapters, and I think I think that was all three of us, wasn't it? I can't remember if it was. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, it's it's got more hits and a shorter more listens in a shorter amount of time than most of. I'm not going to say what that number is because I, I mean I don't want to brag. Um, but, and I don't want people to think that, you know, we I can't count that high. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's pretty odd when you look at it. Um, but that's been encouraging to me. I, I mean, there's, there's some folks that are getting some benefit from this and listening to it and whatever chores or working out or biking or, you know, tuning something There are people out. finding benefit in it. And then people are like, there are benefits when I don't listen to these three guys for most of the time. Yeah, I can I can take them in short bursts of uh, 23 minutes and less. Uh, but yeah, but no, it is so good to to be doing this together. And we've been journeying together. It's not like the three of us haven't been talking, yeah. planning, scheming, but virtually in person, guys. It's good to be with you. Good to be. It's good, good to be. be. Yeah. Um, do you want to? start off with some life updates just anybody Give a, it could be like holidays were great and here we're out or something specific from the journey i mean i feel like the biggest uh event of my life <laughs> uh, of recent was surviving covid um basically right after thanksgiving um came down with it my wife and son kind of had it first by a day or two um and it turned into a three to four week ordeal. And there for a little bit, I really thought, um, man, I could be one of these these unhappy souls who COVID gets your number. And uh, But anyway, I have made almost a full recovery, I would say. There's still some weirdness going on occasionally. But uh, anyway, that was rough. So COVID kicked my butt. Um, but just in time for Christmas, I pretty much got better. And we had a great. Christmas with my my kids, my two girls who were both um, in that older, out of high school, you know, age of life. Now they're actually one of these young adult creatures that we talk about. <laughs> uh, then my son, he turned eleven in December. He's in yeah. fifth grade, so it was a fun, great Christmas. Um, so, but that's about 
that's about it for us. Everybody helping me survive COVID was pretty much how we spent December. So, dude, it was it was it was good to be able to journey with you and pray with you for you. But it was also I know you felt helpless, but from a distance, you know, out here in Idaho, I'm just going. I just don't know how to help my friend Chris. And I, I didn't. I wasn't worried about you dying, even though I knew you felt like you were dying. And I know you were joking around earlier, but it was like really serious. Yeah, I mean um, there were. There were a few moments where I thought I, I could die, or if this keeps going worse and worse, I need yeah. to figure out how to die because I can't take this anymore. And, and you're not being um, melodramatic. I mean, you're you're a pretty understated guy as it is, but you, you know, your humor is kind of like, you know, it's kind of it's very it's very subtle. But it was it was super super serious. I spent a half day you. collecting all the information that my wife needs if I die. and putting it on one piece of paper passwords and all kinds of stuff i mean i i spent a half day doing that so there was at least a half day where i thought this is not going the right direction i was in the er twice i was never admitted to the hospital never on a vent i had partial pneumonia in one lung but um so yeah it was i mean when i say it was bad it was the worst thing ever that i've experienced in 50 almost one years of (laughs) life now um but looking back, I do feel like I, at least internally, I was a little melodramatic about it or whatever. Looking back, it's kind of like, okay, um, yeah, lots of people have a bad, I mean, I talked to people who have deal, dealt with like what they call long COVID for two to six months, nine months, 10 months. Um, and I was just hoping I was not going to be in that category. I didn't want to be in the death category either, of course, but um, I was just kind of in shock a little bit. Like after it went past 14 days, I was still kind of like, really? I didn't expect that Mm -hmm. because I thought I'm kind of healthy, good immune system, whatever. Um, We're fighting for it. We're all fighting for it some way. Fighting for that health. Yeah. Well, I'm glad I'm, I'm glad you're, you're okay. And like you, you know, you said, still, still on the mend for the most part, but high, high nineties recovery percentage wise. And I was, I was like pleasantly surprised at just watching from a distance and, and messaging with you how quickly you did recover from where you were at to where you were like when I posted a picture about you're out walking and then you were, you know, running a little bit again and stuff. I was like, wow, this is as fast as he got into this, it feels like he's getting out of it. I'm sure it didn't feel that way to you. Well, thanks to COVID, I dropped like 25 pounds. So (laughs) as I started to feel better, I thought, oh my goodness, I feel like running. Uh, I haven't felt like running in a long, you know, 30 pounds ago. So, (laughs) so yeah, but it turns out I kind of overdid it because I had had meniscus surgery before COVID. Yeah. Uh, COVID may have actually helped me heal because I rested for three, for four weeks, basically didn't do much um so who knows there could have been some silver linings there or some um but yeah anyway and i don't want to get into vaccination talk necessarily but i am still currently unvaccinated and i don't necessarily want to use this as an opportunity to nudge anyone any particular direction but i would say that at the lowest point at my sickest point i was kicking myself for not being vaccinated um and again, I mean, I, I now plan to get vaccinated because I don't want to go through that again. Um, and I know this could 
stir some things up for people and you know you do you make your decisions but as I was going through it I just realized I really did I really should have <laughs> so uh, I'm probably going to remedy that in the future although I, I wouldn't say I'm 100% clear on that decision but um, I don't know if there, I do I almost feel a sense of obligation to share a bit of that story because mm. I do think COVID can sneak up and kick your butt and maybe kill you. And it seems to me that the science is not crystal clear, but it is fairly clear. Uh, vaccinated folks don't die from COVID unless there's other issues going on. And I'm one of those people that there's no comorbidities or other problems generally health-wise. So if I had died from COVID, it would have been stupid that I died mm. not unvaccinated. So anyway, um, again, I don't want to try to push anyone, but it's your story. Then again, I'm glad you're sharing it. If there are some people who need to hear that, um, you know, political reasons or this or that are are not great reasons to um, risk your health or the health of others. Um, in my opinion right now, um, again, I'm not, I'm not trying to stir that whole thing up, but now when sometimes if people ask, or if I feel like they need to know my vaccination status, I say, well, I'm currently unvaccinated because my doctor told me now I have to wait three months before I can get any shots Mm, because I had it. But, um, so anyway, I'm currently unvaccinated. That may or may not change. But anyway, and we can edit some of this out if we think it's it's too much. But that's just kind of my story. And I really wouldn't want somebody to die because just because they didn't, you know, get a shot because they are trying to make a statement, you know. Or we really haven't talked about this. Like we've talked. Protect their image amongst their family members or anything like yeah. that. I'm um, glad you're saying something. Those are not great reasons to not get vaccinated. So. Yeah. I, thanks for sharing, Chris. Cause I, I mean, I've thought a few times, like I'd really like to talk to you about this and I wasn't, I, I was, I was just thinking back. Um, there was a couple of times. I mean, when you told me you had COVID, I was like, wait a minute. I don't think I've ever heard Chris say that he was vaccinated. I never really thought about it, but I would talk about being vaccinated mm-hmm. and I knew Jeremy had, but then I was like, wait, I don't think, I don't, I don't know if he's vaccinated. So I was like, this might be really, really rough, you know? And I had a couple um, of so, close friends who reached out and they're like, well, wait, you're vaccinated. Right. And I was like, would you assume I'm vaccinated? Would you yeah. <laughs> actually not? Where are you going and with they, this? <laughs> and it was just interesting. Cause I have people in different, you know, a lot of us have friends who are you know in in different camps so to speak in different parts of our lives and so i've got you know one group of friends that are just like flabbergasted you're not vaccinated what right and then i've got others who are like yeah you better not be vaccinated because that's stupid and they're trying to control you and blah 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 um so anyway i I was always just pretty ambiguous about it but at this stage i feel like i want to say to the you know 12 people uh out there Oh, I gave away our number. Um, yeah, I really uh, reversed wrestled with that. that and reversed I really regretted, that. I regretted, as I was sick with COVID, I regretted not being vaccinated because I probably would have had it maybe a week if I had been vaccinated. So. Didn't know you were going to share that today and appreciate you going there. Surprise! I'll echo 
Kenny and saying thank you for sharing that. I, and I'm very, very grateful that you're a whole lot better than uh, <laughs> you were a few weeks ago. We have pictures to share of like when <laughs> yeah. you were barely talking. You were like trying to do Marco Polo. And I was, I was like, like hey, dude, guys. don't die on this call. Do not die on this call. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I. Uh, after that, like I. What's up with you, man? I just say, I, How's your uh, life? I had a, you know. Not nearly as much to be thankful for. Um, Untrue. But we had the benefit of being able to see a lot of our family, extended family for the first time in two years over Christmas. Um, Had a few, I I feel like everybody in the last few weeks has had a few, um, I don't know, like COVID hiccups where you have something like we, I had family that last second wasn't able to go. We almost weren't able to go. Um, Our daughter ended up with bronchiolitis. And mm-hmm. so our time with family was shortened because uh, she had a short stint in the hospital, um, which she's had a lot of those since she had COVID a year ago. Um, she's just had like repeated like flare ups with her asthma. Um, but we, yeah, had a good time with family. We had snow here recently um, over this past weekend uh, in Nashville. And so we, we have a incline in our, backyard and we're able to go sledding with uh, the two older of our kids and uh, enjoyed that. And then today, the day we're recording was the first day that all three of our kids were in preschool daycare and uh, my wife's first day back to work. Um, she was going starting, starting back to work uh, last week. And uh, right before we uh, got back in town, had somebody who we'd spent some time with test positive and um, Ritu was already sick with cold, with a cold. And so like the protocol is if you've been exposed and have symptoms, uh, that you're supposed to quarantine for a few days until you can get tested. Well, she had symptoms because she had a cold. Um, so she worked from home last week. So today was her first day back in the office. All the kids are at daycare and preschool. Um, so a different season of life, uh, than your guys's children, but, uh, a big one for, for us, mm-hmm. yeah, but uh, good on the whole. One of my favorite things uh, in terms of like Christmas gifts and things uh, was we got my mother-in-law got our kids one of those like small toddler-sized trampolines with the bar that you can hold on to and jump up and down. Yeah, we have them in our church's nursery. I had a cousin who growing up had one of those, uh, he has ADHD. And so his parents, instead of putting him in the corner for timeout, would have him go and jump for 15 minutes uh, to help him uh, exude and uh, dispense of that extra energy. And so we're putting that to use with our kids where we'll like go and just have them jump on the trampoline for a little bit to help make sure that they're well worn out before we attempt to do bedtime. And I'm very thankful for that. Uh, gift, uh, especially last week where we'd go outside playing the snow for a while, and then we'd have them jump on the trampoline for a little bit, and then they were good and worn out. Uh, yeah, so that's uh, life date life updates for for me. What about you, Kenny? Well, I'm just, I'm just. Um, you have to watch Family Force Five's video uh, Berserk. Because they're on those trampolines, like not right now, but like yeah, yeah, yeah. like you know the you know the chorus of the song when they get into like go like, go berserk and then it like goes nuts. They're on trampolines, just going ham with the handles and everything. It's that is awesome. Inspiring. I did not know that. I'll have to check. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's that's free for everyone today. That's free. 
Um, life update. Let's see. Great holidays. Um, I really intentionally took a step back from work. Um, I missed work in a healthy way. Like I, I took two weeks off where I didn't do anything work related. And um, I set it up really well to be able to do that and communicate well about that. But it's the first time in years that I've really allowed myself to do that or was able to do that. Um, but I, I really missed just the, the schedule and the, and the flow of that. And, and, you know, I, I still I was lethargic and eating stuff that I had to like work out to get off and didn't get all of it off. And, but I'm getting back into healthy rhythms and stuff now. Um, but it was a great time with family, extended family that we've seen, but really hadn't gathered for Thanksgiving or, or Christmas. Um, just all the way around. Great time with my family, with our kids. You know, I got a son that's a freshman in college, daughter that's a senior in college, and then a 16 year old sophomore in high school. Um, really good. My brother's visiting right now from Africa. Um, on the COVID front, um, 16 year old just got his booster yesterday, but, um, on, on the vaccination trains and that's, that's worked out for, I mean, my, my son was able, I think I said this probably in November, but he was able to run for his, you know, he's on the cross country and track team at his school and one of their athletes and, and, uh, his first meet, half the team had been exposed. And so they couldn't run, but because he was vaccinated, he could compete. So there's, there's a lot of positives to, and, you know, to the vaccination stuff. And, and even if you are exposed to not, to not having to isolate or quarantine or whatever, I'm journeying with the shepherd fellows and bridge students, um, you know, in Indianapolis and just the protocols that they have in place and the kind of ebb and flow with whatever's going on or who, you know, if it's a staff person or for somebody else. And so last week um, I, I was hosting fellows night Thursday night. I'm hosting it again this week while Alan's on PTO and uh, just journeying with those young adults, just, with very, they're all over the board with where they're at when, you know, just perspectives with, with all that coming from all across the country. And um, it's really interesting to, to dialogue about that and get into that. And some are having to be in isolation and others wonder, you know, just, just lots of things and the mass and, and, and all of it. So I, it's, it's keeping me on my toes, just um, it's keeping me on my toes and outside of my echo box that would, that would tend to be for me personally, as a, um, man, unless there's really a health reason, um, why wouldn't you get vaccinated just to like help protect other people, even if you're not worried about it for yourself? That's kind of been my personal posture, like all through this. But then I think I could have got sick a lot of times, and I think that I haven't because because of that. So living on that COVID, and my brother, you know, my brother's trying to figure out: does he get a test here? Does he get a rapid test here? Does he fly back to Indiana and spend time with family and then have to get a 48, 48 hour because he's going to fly through Europe someplace. And then what's the protocols in that airport? Is it 36? Is it 24? Is it 48? Is it, you know, this is the world we're living in. It's just, it's continually evolving. And if you're not still pivoting, like if I get to a place where I just go, I'm so sick of this, I'm just going to pretend again, like it's not happening. Um, I just, I don't see that being life-giving for me or the, or, or the people um, or the people around me. So journey with folks at all places on, on the, on the spectrum there, local young adult ministry. Um, it's been kind of status quo. We've just been doing connect on Sunday mornings. We're ramping up the once a month, getting everybody together in the, you know, college age ish, 18 to 22 ish and the 23 to 29 ish, having a separate kind of lunch get together 
we're we're rebooting those. Um, I'm sure you guys saw this, but Jacoby Campbell, the pastors in Nashville, just came out with this prayer journal, and I ordered it. Yeah. And I saw other people were like doing it with groups. And I was like, why didn't I think of that? So I ordered it and I've started like working through it and I'm pitching it to, there's a couple of Indian youth students that are wanting to do um, some more stuff with young adults at our church. And it's coming from young adults. And so I'm like listening in a different way going, whatever you want to do, I will help you champion it. Like I will, I will do everything I can to just make this happen for this semester, whatever you want to do. So I'm wondering if we're going to try to do some type of devotional journey together where it's decentralized. You can pick it up on Sunday mornings. You can buy it on Kindle if you want to, or audio, um, but then have a once a month gathering where we're bringing them together and go, Hey, how did this, how's this journey going? And what are you learning? And just maybe use that at some of our lunches and stuff. So yeah, I'm good overall family, really excited and, and um, engaged ministry wise. And it's fun to be talking to you guys about February. I'll be coming to Indy and to Nashville. And so I'll be next month. I'll be hanging out with both of you guys in person, Lord willing, Lord and circumstances willing. Um, so I'm excited, man. I'm, ex- I'm excited for the new year um, because you didn't ask. Uh, I have decided to do a Spartan trifecta again this year. It's probably going to have to happen over two weekends. So in one weekend, I would be doing two of the races, most likely Salt Salt Lake for sure. Seattle would probably be the other one. But we have a Tough Mudder on the calendar uh, at the beginning of August between the three. Tentatively, we understand life can interrupt, but tentatively, we're taught we're still t- we we had a good experience last year. We're looking at the at the at the ten k now for Tough Mudder in Saraland. I don't know if that's how you say that, but it's outside of Columbus, Indiana. Yeah. Um, Where many different types of people are from, some more famous than others. And um, I might do a, what is called a savage race outside of Tampa, because I'm probably going to go to Tampa in March. So I'm very excited about my obstacle course racing year. And it's really motivating me to get on track uh, or to, to stay on track and strive for just some different things, physical challenge at 44, almost 45, I'm officially embracing middle age and mm-hmm. I just want that to go well. So that's how I'm doing guys. You are one tough mutter participant. That's awesome. So many things that I want to say right now. Oh. So many rabbit trails. Um, I, I kind of gave some ministry updates and local and, and, and just personal vocational ones. Did you, is there anything there that you guys wanted to touch on for you guys, young adult ministry wise? Um, I mean, there's, uh, so I'm hanging out with the college age class. We basically have a, a group, like a Sunday school kind of class. Um, and that's going well. There's three of us who kind of rotate in and out facilitating that uh, as far as teaching. I don't really do what I would call teaching in that, uh, just facilitate discussion, really. Some ask some good questions and see what happens. Um, but some good relationships happening there. Some, some young adults, most of them are college students. Um, but this is a very church-based kind of approach to ministry with college students. And just trying to give them community in the sense of belonging. Uh, it's really focused on them for the first five years out of, out of high school, basically. Um, but that's going good. I've actually been able to uh, recruit. So I help. We do a cafe. We do. We have espresso machine, coffee area, and stuff like that. And so I have volunteers who help. And I've tried to recruit some of those young adults to help. And it just 
hasn't clicked yet. And I think I just hadn't developed enough relationship, you know, with some of them yet, but two or three more just reached out to me and were like, Oh, Hey, we want to do this coffee thing with you and stuff. So suddenly I have like six uh, young adult baristas who are helping with that, which is cool because I'm trying to help it go well, but back out because what's fun is to watch them connect with people in the church, um, you know, on Sunday mornings before both services between services um a little bit after and all that it's just fun to watch some of the young the young adults engage and get to know various people in the church um it's proving to be you know and i obviously it affirms me it affirms my approach to ministry with coffee and trying to use not just use coffee but to do coffee the craft of coffee so well because it's part of god's good creation and it deserves to be done well but then to see how it really does uh enhance space and place and community and relationships conversations and all that so anyway there's some fun stuff going there that i'm i'm pretty excited about so what about you jer yeah we in our last episode of 2021 we talked uh you guys helped provide me with like a therapy session uh talking through some options looking at ministry in 2022 and so uh at the time that we record this uh, this coming Sunday will be our first week of our, um, the way that I'm phrasing it is our uh, young, our college and career small group meeting at 9am on Sunday mornings, which the small group will be meeting during Sunday school. Um, so it'll be our Sunday school class, but over the last two and a half years, uh, build up somewhat of an identity, we call it the community. Uh, and so it's moved times, a few times, it's the first time we're going to look to do it on a Sunday morning. And if you're listening to this and you're uh, wondering why why I'm thinking about making a transition to Sunday morning, go back and listen to uh, the episode right before, or the last full episode right before this. And we go into detail about that. Uh, But this will be, uh, this upcoming Sunday will be the first week of that. And I'm excited for that and uh, the opportunity to be able to uh, connect deeper with some students and young adults who are you know, the evening times didn't connect with, uh, but also excited to be able to then to try to incorporate some more volunteers uh, into it. And we'll be using, at least for the spring semester, the new Bible Project app, which has a somewhat of a reading plan with it. So they have their videos, they have their uh, podcast, which I love. They came out with a app at the beginning of this year, and it has a throughout 2022, a a kind of reading plan and movements that will be going through the Torah. And so it's a slow reading plan, but then they bring together all of their videos, resources, articles to be able not just to be reading scripture, but then to be able to pull out narratives and uh, themes from across scripture. And so it gives the opportunity for students that'll be going through it with us in a small group to be able to ideally be able to do stuff on their own, uh, but then also uh, that'll provide the context for our conversations on Sunday mornings and provide a a journey throughout 2022 is my hope for it. Um, So that's the, that's a big thing. We've got a few other things in terms of uh, service opportunities, trying to create uh, more opportunities for serendipity of, we at our church being at it on a university campus, it's literally a hill. And so there's a 
retirement center, a healthcare center, the university, a bunch of uh, housing that is not related to the university uh, of like young professionals um, that are on the hill along with the, the church. And so trying to provide opportunities for intersection of uh, like people from different um, uh, life situations to be able to connect more and for young adults to be a part of that. So I'm really excited for this year and for some more opportunities that had been put on pause with the onset of the pandemic um, and then being able to have some space to be able to actually plan like out farther than like two weeks in time, like still also being held in tension with like this last week, half of our church was gone because of COVID like, um, lots of people caught stuff over the holidays. And so uh, the, the tension of being able to plan ahead, but then also like uh, last minute having to uh, pivot a bunch, uh, but we've gotten practice with that. So uh, finding that balance in all areas of ministry, uh, including young adult ministry will, will be good this year. So that's a uh, ministry updates uh, for me. Good stuff. Good stuff. Sorry, culturally, culturally, what's going on with Gen Z? Any anything cool, fun, exciting? Nerve, well, nervy. Um, I mean, just can I just, start? Oh, can I start? If yes, people Chris, are aware, of course you. I'm just stuttering. I, I'm not talking, so yeah, please go ahead and start. <laughs> well, you wouldn't be stuttering if I wasn't talking over you. My bad. Um, that, okay, I'm done. So Springtide, I don't know, people can, a lot of people are probably familiar with Barna and some of the reports and data they've done on Gen Z. Uh, Springtide is one um, that put out a report, and I've been seeing some stuff on that lately. Um, one of the stats they throw out there is they kind of have a list of, have these people reached out to you during the pandemic or during the past year? And one of the lowest numbers reported in terms of uh, who has reached out to, you know, a young adult, college age, whatever, Gen Z, um, is faith leaders. So that, mm. that's just convicting to me that I hope there aren't any young adults that I know who feel like they haven't been reached out to, but there probably are. I've neglected um, people. Yeah, yeah. So um, intentionally. So it just makes me think, you know, we need to encourage, not beat ourselves up necessarily for that, but let's do better. Let's do better in 2022 and make sure we're, we're reaching sure. out, make sure we're, we're trying to, sometimes I think we even need to build some systems, you know, something that helps us as a church or whatever to make sure that we don't uh, fail to reach out to those that are somehow in our relational network or map. Uh, I got, I have, I have groups of young adults, someone closer to than others, but it's not like a list. It's not like a printed out list from a database or whatever, but just people that I've, you know, kind of ebb and flow in relationship with. And I just go back through and just kind of text them or message them or the way that they messaged, you know, we had last contact. I try to get a hold of them that way. And I just try to rotate through those every once in a while, um, making sure that there's just somebody there. Um, but because I generally like do care about people and care about them. So. Yeah. Hey, that website, in case people want to know, it's springtideresearch.org. And uh, it's navigating uncertainty is the kind of the title of the document that they came up with, but where that's a, a part of that. Um, Can yeah. I ask you guys a couple of culture corner, like terminology things? 
Mm. As far as while we're on the topic. Okay. Yeah. So as long as you don't at me. Exactly. Do you guys know this one? Do you use this one? Do people say this to you? Are you familiar with it? Jeremy is Chris, you're quizzical in the eyes. Which one? Don't at what me. Is- don't at me. Don't at you. Don't at me. Is that like a social media thing? Like, don't tag me or don't. Yes, it is. It is. See, when, when I heard it, which don't was my come daughter, at me. Yeah. That's what yeah. I thought it was. That's how I was hearing it. And so like my, my, my personal children would be talking and they'd be like, interpretation. Yeah. They'd be like, don't at me. And I was like, wait, do oh, they, I'm oh. being intense right now. Do they think that my daughter thinks I'm like coming at her with intensity? Get out of my grill. And then I actually, I bothered to ask one day after months of hearing this, what do you mean by that when you say that? So Jeremy, you're already really familiar with this, it seems like. Can you explain I, it? I, yeah, I mean, it's one of those things where I think the first few times I heard it, I um, kind of nodded and went along with it and had like an, an, an estimation of what I thought it meant, but then like waited until later to look it up myself to make sure that I was correct rather than embarrassing myself. Yeah. in front of uh, somebody. I mean, and it's just like, uh, at least where I see it the most in social media is like you give some type of hot take on something where you're like, don't at me, but Chick-fil-A sandwiches are like really overrated. Like like giving some kind of like controversial or um, comically controversial like Chick-fil-A sandwiches, like something that isn't really that big of a hot take, but then you could say like, uh, don't at me, but whataburger is better than five guys uh, to I, here's, here's how i've heard it here's how okay. i've heard it uh the covid19 pandemic is fake don't at me actually if people are saying that they actually want people to tag them in it but it would be <laughs> it would be like after it's like i just said something you're the kind of person in this conversation that may take it and like post about it and then tag me in it and never talk to me about it don't at me and so it would be here's the phrase don't at me yeah so I asked somebody about this the other day. I think it was a young adult at church on Sunday morning. And they're like, oh yeah, this comes from Twitter. And I was like, oh, and the research I did, it, the phrase, that whole concept behind it came from Twitter. And they've kind of traced it back to like 2007, which isn't too far after when Twitter was, I mean, it's a year or two, maybe, I don't know, when was tw- Twitter popularized? I remember having an account in 2006. I didn't do anything with it for like three years. So twitter origin point 2005 or earlier i don't know anyway don't at me march 21st 2006 would be my guess i'm just spitballing but just googling just <laughs> just using the interwebs over there yeah all right, all right. interesting so here's here's my this this is actual practical thing for me and i just we don't have got to spend a lot of time here i'm going to talk to other people about this too but um with recruiting for my role and with shepherd i'm using handshake a lot of um colleges universities use handshake as kind of a back-end app to continue to connect people with like internships and careers and blah 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 nazarene schools all use this um there's a lot going on in admissions departments of uh, higher education with virtual um, tours and virtual meetings and virtual like um, 
uh, career fairs and things like that. And I'm looking at these things on handshake and I'm going, okay, where's my, where do I fit into this? Is this something that would benefit me in my role with Shepard? I just wonder, have you guys had any type of interaction with career virtual career fairs or heard feedback from college students and benefits, positives, negatives, just any, any thoughts on that? Cause that's very much a part of the, the cultural milieu of our day. I think from what I've heard in various different conversations, a lot of it depends on the intent of the event and the purpose or drive of of the individual on the whole, it has to be something really important for someone like for a college student who's like, well, I'm spending almost all of, or a young adult, I'm spending almost all of my life online. Um, especially if you're a college student who is getting quarantined from time to time and from contact tracing. And so all of your classes are online. You might be attending services more or less online for church, like just one more thing online. There has to be a real big draw, a real big uh, Mm. either interest level or payoff for it to be worthwhile attending uh, because there's just so much like, the tidal wave of online offerings is just so large at this point. But if you can create that value and communicate that on the front end, I think on the, on the whole, then you can get individuals more invested in those things. They're not just showing up because uh, they feel like they need to, uh, like if they're going to show up, they're, going to be more invested in it because there's just so much else going on that if they show up, that shows some kind of buy-in already. Uh, and I, I've, I've thought about it from the angle that you're coming at where it's like, do you host an event? I'm thinking about it more like um, uh, Ohio Christian University or Olivet or Trevecca um, is, is um, or IUPUI, uh, Cincinnati. They're, they're hosting a virtual career fair. Is that something that I, as someone that's looking to recruit interns and year-long fellows, would want to participate in because that would be a fruitful place for me to have conversations as a part of that university, that college's career, virtual career fair? Are you hearing feedback at all from college students about their participation in those types of things and pros and cons of their experience? I would say I haven't heard a lot, but I, I'm not on the ground with college students to the extent that I was pre-pandemic. Um, so like my local college age group that I'm hanging out with, um, plus a few local Cincinnati coffee shop hangout types, the regulars. Um, I know, I mean, I hear some stuff from them, but I feel like I'm not quite in the loop as much. I don't hear... I don't hear them talking as much about that particular environment and how that's going during virtual kind of scenarios as much as I hear, certainly in the campus ministry world, it's been harder to engage students in campus ministry fellowships, Bible studies, anything like that in an online. It seems like that's one of the easy things to just for them to say, oh man, I'm so sick of Zoom. I have to Zoom for this and Zoom for that and whatever. Um, I think that excuse gives them, it gives them a good excuse to get out of 
anything they're not like super committed to or, or whatever. Um, but as far as career fairs, I'm, I'm trying to just pr project a little bit what I know of current college student mentality. Um, I would think there's pros and cons, you know, to being for you to be in that environment. Um, because you could certainly get access to students who, you know, maybe want something a little more out of the box, so to speak, in mm -hmm. terms of not a full-on career, like I'm looking for 80,000 a year kind of gig or something, but like, I just want to test the waters and, and try out some things. And you might catch students like that, who the, you know, the high paying, high caliber job type surge is not necessarily what's on their mind as much as just trying to get some experience and find a place to engage in what they love, what they think they might be love, which what they, I don't know what just came out of my mouth. Um, I got it. I, COVID I, props. Um, I feel you. <laughs> yeah, but. Don't act COVID. I, um, yeah, I don't know. No, it's good. I see, I, I see you try one or two, see how it goes, and then that's, that's what I'm thinking. You'll know that's pretty what I'm, quickly. I'm gonna I'm gonna cherry pick those so that I feel like it's worth it. Um, Here, all of that has one coming up. Well, that's that's an in person. That's an in person one. Oh, that's in person on the on February twenty. I think it was twenty second. But yeah, yeah. Um, I, if you hear about anybody, I'd love to like, you know, text me or something. I'd like I'd like to hear yeah. about it. I'm gonna be asking more about it. And if anybody's listening to us right now thank you for sticking with us this long um i'd love to hear about any input wow. you are a keeper you've you've had uh with, with that um i two really really random things super random and before we transition to our next part here which i'm setting somewhat up to do a transition um you can compete over rock paper scissors oh you want jerry okay um jeremy are you drinking kombucha i am yeah Okay, tell me if you want me to edit that out. I don't know, but um, I just, I just clear mind. Okay, and Chris, those are headphones, not gauges, right? I keep thinking your ears are pierced because your headphones look like really giant gauges in your lobes. Okay, I'm just, yeah, I'm not, I'm in no way judging. I was really admiring. I thought maybe Chris had, had post-COVID, you know. I have a piercing, but it's currently vacated. Yeah, okay. But I've never had anything gauge, gauge like. So well, that brings us to a transition here. To our, yeah, I mean, if you've stuck with us this long, I appreciate you listening. And the good news is, we're not done yet. We are we're not done yet. <laughs> yes, we still, we still have some of miss you guys uh, some additional great content as we are getting to the home stretch of our conversation that's been taking place over the last several months on the book "Not Done Yet." And we are talking about two chapters today, 11 and 12. We're almost to the end of the book and as, as we're wrapping up these conversations. But the, the two chapters, 11, revisioning re evangelism inside the church box. And then chapter 12 is balancing orthodox distinction and cultural engagement. Wow. It's a lot. Yeah. Well, and we, we only have one more chapter after this. Like it, I yeah. feel this has been a journey. This has been a year. A lot has happened uh, in young adult ministry in our own lives as we've been reading through this book. And even as I was uh, earlier today refreshing myself on some of the chapters, it hitting differently uh, than the first time, like than the first time that I read it, or like or hitting the same way, but I forgot what uh, how it hit. Just kind of as the world continues to to change at a faster clip. But 
mm-hmm. starting with chapter 11, talking about evangelism outside the box, thinking outside the box, uh, inside the box. What were you guys' thoughts from this chapter? You know, something I, something I was thinking as I was reading this chapter is, you know, I'm, I'm at a church with, you know, just in our one little small group of, of college age young adults, roughly 15 to 20 show up for that on a Sunday morning, um, which is awesome. Um, I'd say there's a hundred young adults, ages 18 to 29. There's about a hundred that come to one of our services and hang out, church of about 14, 1500, something like that. Um, I'm just curious now, as I read this, I'm wondering, I think I always assumed that the young adults that are hanging out already know Christ. They're already following Christ. They've made that kind of decision. They would identify as Christians and believers. I'm not sure why I've just assumed that because as I read this chapter, I, it just made me think like, wow, what percentage of those 15 to 20, you know, students who are with us on a Sunday morning, what what percentage of those have actually, you know, would identify themselves as Christ followers, so to speak. And I bet it's, there's more than I would think that have not really made that decision. And therefore most perhaps half or more of the young adults that are somehow connected, they just come to a service and leave or whatever. Um, This chapter just opened my eyes to think that um, there's probably a lot of young adults who are part of our ministries and communities and churches that we assume have a relationship with Christ and maybe they don't. and that's cool in that, you know, back in, in my day of being a young adult, I think if you were not a Christ follower, you just wouldn't go to church. Yeah. There, there would be no reason or whatever, um, unless you were after a, a romantic interest, perhaps. But, um, but things have definitely changed where now it's, it's interesting that there, there probably are a lot of young adults, college age 18, 29, whatever, who either just really need, want the community or they're just exploring, they're just curious, or they've grown up in the church and they've, you know, whatever we've assumed. So anyway, it just really made me ask that question in a serious sort of way that I really haven't. Um, So in some ways that just makes me think interesting that the potential conversations I should be having with some of the young adults that are currently a part of our community. Um, But then also, how do you leverage that? It's just a, and it's not like this is a brand new thought. I mean, the whole believing before or belonging before believing that phrase has been bouncing around for a little while now in the church and in certain circles. Um, But then for her to kind of add to it, believing or behave, belonging before you believe or behave um so that part too like um that's where it gets it gets tricky for some like as far as the the wrist stuff she talks about later like you you end up with young adults definitely not believing and not necessarily behaving like christians just yet and probably some people assume they're christians because they're at church um so then I don't know. Anyway, this chapter, it was good. It, it made me rethink um, some things about evangelism, about how I think about who's the young adults that are coming to church. I need to reevaluate where I think they are at spiritually. 
And again, this goes back to something we keep talking about is, is hey, spend time with young adults, talk to young adults, get to know young adults. <laughs> Don't just read books about young adults or sometimes like me, sit back and pontificate and think that you know understand young adults just by observing them or whatever. But we need to have conversations or relationships. Yeah. But you, I, Kenny, or Jer, anybody? I was going to transition it to Kenny. So that's... Okay. Yeah. Well, um, recent conversations with with young adults in our church has reminded me how important it is to not, I mean, not judge people, but also not assume that they are necessarily where you think that they might be on their faith continuum. It's, it might be easy to assume from the outside that someone's really close with God, um, but they're not and vice versa that somebody's really far away or they're not engaged at all, but they actually have a really intimate relationship with Christ and are doing stuff that would just blow your mind, you know, in the kingdom. Um, and, and also how important it is to have intergenerational that aren't set up in intentional necessarily a pro program, programmatic, they sure can be, but just when older folks in a church take interest in, in a young adult in young adults and just invest in them, love on them while they're going to college, you know, in the different seasons of their life and journey. Um, just how can I be fostering those things? Because I've seen that recently, recently. Um, I've seen the kaleidoscope of that, of that, and I've seen that pay off. And I've seen people that you thought were doing pretty good and they just were sucking eggs. Um, and, and when you're not doing great, it's really easy to isolate yourself and to guilt and shame spiral. And just to not like, you feel like you're going to hurt other people because if you, if they really knew what was going on in your life, I don't know, you don't know if they could handle it, you know? And we have young adults in all of our myths that are at, at some place, you know, at these different stages of the journey. So to keep extending the invitations to commitment of faith, to keep asking how people are doing, you know, in their relationship with Christ, not are they going to church or not, but it, you know, that's important, but where are they at in the relationship? I think those things are all important. So the important chapter to me, and I'll just wrap up with, um, if you like picture books, this is a fantastic chapter. There's great use of color gradients in, in different graphs um, that are quite engaging. And especially when it comes to the risk that Chris talked about and churches taking risks and emerging adults taking risks and where that overlaps and the, both of those things are important. And, and that's page 81, 181 and 182. And then the, 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 the teeter totter one, it's like a playground of graphs and pictorial illustrations of what they're talking about in the chapter. And I just really appreciated it both from a, a depth and surface level. Jeremy. Yeah, they used a little more ink in this chapter for sure. They did. They 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 saved yeah. it to the last here. I think one of the main things for me, you highlighted it, Chris, on page one seventy eight. She says this that yet I observe a uh, I observed a nuance. Unchurched people are following a pattern that involves more than belonging before believing. They are in many ways belonging and behaving before believing. That it's not just coming and being a part, but that invitation to participate and to be a part in the life of small groups, life groups, uh, volunteering, leading and things. And it, it led me on a few tangents uh, as I thought about it that I'll, <laughs> that I'll tangent on right now. Um, the, the two this, uh, one, 
I, I think it put into words for me helpful thinking about some of the young adults in my local church context who are struggling, who, who have verbalized uh, struggling in terms of the belonging, you know, people who've grown up in the church who state beliefs in the right things. And I would say believe the right, like believe in Jesus. Uh, but then in thinking about them, like, yeah, I, they are struggling to belong, which is not a surprising thing, but there's a few in particular that I'm, yeah, the, the behaving part, like they state what they believe about Jesus. Um, but we haven't gotten them involved in the life of the church um, mm. in in the practices of what it means to be a part of the community of faith. Um, and that could be on a person individually. There's a lot of responsibility in terms of the church, in terms of providing those opportunities, in terms of inculcating and developing that in the life of our discipleship as a church. It reminds me of the book, Alan Hirsch, or not Alan Hirsch, uh, Patient Furman of the Early Church. Sorry. Um Patient Foreman of the Early Church by Alan Kreider, and uh, talks about how um, that for the early church, there between Jesus's ascension and Constantine coming into power, those couple hundred years, that the marker was a, a radical dependency on the work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, so there was patience uh, in what God was doing, but that people were known not just by what they stated that they believed, but by the practices that they had. And that uh, for a segment of the early church, that it took a long time before you were allowed to be a part of the full experience of Christianity. Uh, because in order to be baptized, there was uh, classes that you would go to. There was You would have a mentor assigned to you. Uh, part of this, making sure uh, as they were being persecuted, that there was some um, hoops to jump through to keep the community safe from government persecution, but then also just that people truly were bought in. So uh, the example that, that Carter uses in his book is that you, uh, that someone would be interested in you acting different than the, than the rest of the neighborhood and ask you about it. And as they begin to find out about your faith in this Jesus, this uh, one God that came out of uh, the Hebrew scriptures, that then they would begin that you would begin a relationship with them, that you would take them then to your pastor and you could officially, if they wanted, become like their mentor and journey with them so that over a couple years or months or years of going to uh, like educational classes, but it was like learning that the habits of and the practices uh, that in some, it wasn't until after you went through that and been baptized that you would then hear all of the sermon on Sunday morning, like up until that point, until you were part of that, if you came together for the, the ch weekly church gathering, you could be there up until uh, the the full sermon and communion, and you were dismissed before then. Mm. And that you weren't like, it was not that what you believed wasn't important, but it was like, it doesn't like, you're going to ruin this for everybody if you start naming yourself as a Christian, and you don't actually act like one. Um and the example in the book is definitely like to the extreme of what a lot of what we see in culture today, but it like helps is, is a helpful reminder of what it is uh, that, how are we marked? What, how are we, I heard someone talking about this in a sermon recently. They're like, yeah, you know, the third commandment, don't take God's name in vain. And like, it's a deficient understanding to think of that just in terms of like cursing language, but like, is your life 
speaking well or speaking ill of Jesus uh, and how you're and how you're acting. Um, the other thought actually was Alan Hirsch uh, that, that I was thinking about in this chapter was he in a, a message that he spoke at, I think at a Verge conference, he talks about disciple, the disciples of Jesus. He's like, at what point in those like three years did they become Christians? Were they saved and converted? Like, he's like, you couldn't like pin, like pinpoint, like they made a bunch of mistakes. You had Pete, like Peter. So it probably wasn't until like the crucifixion and the resurrection, but they still messed up stuff. Like he's like, you can't really like pinpoint, like this is where they went from being an unsaved believer to a saved believer. And he's like, maybe that's kind of the like point that our journey with Jesus is not like this. There are singular events, but that is not the totality of uh, the Christian journey and that it is a journey. And so it's a helpful reminder in this chapter to be reminded that just because somebody is showing up consistently, uh, that is a good thing. And it doesn't mean that like that they're necessarily a proclaimed believer in Jesus Christ, but that doesn't mean that they're not on the journey. Um, and so how do we continue to be hospitable and receptive communities uh, for people, young adults, especially that are on different, uh, different points in that journey of faith. Hospitable, hospitable. I like that. Um, she mentions on page 176, one of my favorite books on evangelism, the Celtic way by George Hunter. Um, and this is hard to just summarize. So let me, read a little bit. Um, Hunter describes monastic communities that enveloped pre-Christian Celts into imaginative, hospitable, and relevant communities of Christ followers who experienced a keen sense of belonging to the community. He suggests that postmodern people need similar experiences with hospitable Christians who welcome unbelievers. And I think um, the rest of that is good too. I could keep reading, but I'll stop there. Um, and sometimes because I'm kind of the coffee guy too, sometimes people think I, I reduce hospitality to coffee and donuts or something like that. But I think one of the reasons I take coffee so seriously is because there is a sense of radical biblical hospitality that we are called to treat those who are not kin. They're not family. They're not yet you know, what they could be. We treat them as family. We treat them as what they could be. Um, you know, in the same way that Jesus uh, or that God has extended grace and community and we were strangers and aliens, even enemies with God. And yet he treats us as if, you know, we're sons and daughters uh, kind of thing. So I just think that kind of hospitality is so critical. Um, that we, um, you know, that word, if you break it down and look at the history of it, it's, it's kind of this word that really means to aggressively love strangers. Um, mm. and, and I think we need, we need more of that kind of hospitality in our churches um, and not just coffee at our churches. We need some aggressive stranger loving hospitality going on. It was also interesting to me, Jeremy, you brought, you talked about the, the behaving piece or the believing that you couldn't, it didn't matter what you believe sermon wise, you, you don't need to deal with a sermon yet until you've sort of incorporated some of the practices and the behaviors that, um, and it's just so opposite now where we think, oh, as long as somebody believes the right things, um, that's more important than the way sort of it gets lived out and we love one another. So you can believe the right thing, 
and then treat somebody like crap because they don't believe what you believe or whatever. It's just such a foreign, um, and again, I hate to be all random and spastic here, but I just started this book by James, uh, Jamie Smith, who's a kind of a Christian philosopher, professor, dude, you are what you love. And he talks about the so good. habit. He, he's, he he does such a great job in the first chapter of explaining why humans are not just thinking things. We're not brains on a stick, but we are what we love. And we are like what we desire, what we love, what we want ultimately is so important. And that shapes us more than what we think or what we believe. Um, so anyway, there's so much good stuff here that Before we touches on. Before we shift to chapter 12 and close it out today, guys, um, uh, Jeremy, I'm going to go back and listen to the podcast as is my custom when I'm preparing it to share because after you said the word inculcate which is <laughs> such a rare verbiage gem uh, I really didn't You don't hear that. that much in your quotidian no. life yeah. I'm going to look that up too and <laughs> it's great and still an attitude, idea, or habit by persistent instruction. Um, it was really good word usage. And I wanted to say about this book as well. I'm just gonna have to go back. And I don't have anything else to say. because That's the only thing I, I got stuck on. Um, I tried. I think that the author's done a really good job and not done yet with how they wrap up each chapter, a chapter rewind. So I could really just read that part and not read the book, but it's beneficial to read the book. And then starting the chapter rewind, starting the conversation and then action steps. So like, so it's really laid out. If you're reading this with other people or on your own, you've got some handles on like where to go next with the idea that, that you're grappling with um, in the chapter here. But what about chapter 12 balancing orthodox distinction and culture engagement. And I, I think Chris kind of like what you were just saying at the end there about talking about chapter 11 really in my mind sums up chapter 12 in terms of talking about hospitality because the whole point of this chapter 12 is that you need to be distinctive in in beliefs and practices so orthodox like not advocating for throwing away all of historic christianity but also still engaging uh, culture and so she provides one of her other helpful charts in this chapter saying like you could be really culturally engaged but if you have no christian distinctiveness then you're being shaped by the culture instead of the other way around Mm. Uh, and on the flip side then you could have this really like uh, distinctiveness but become so secluded by not being engaged in culture and saying that uh, if you were to put those two things on like an xy graph and create you know like a box with four squares that um, the top right one of those it would be being distinctive in your christian faith but then also being engaged. And in my mind, that's where the radical, stranger-loving Christian hospitality that Chris was just talking about, like that's one of the best ways to fully embody that uh, distinctive. Like if we are being uh, true to the Christian faith, uh, true to what Jesus exemplified for us in his life, death, resurrection, and ascension, which was, engaging the world where it's at and saying, I don't want you to just stay where you're at. Um, and there's some good news in this, uh, that, uh, like 
that's that's Christian hospitality uh, through declaration and, and demonstration. So I, I feel like uh, that idea of hospitality really kind of sums up for me a lot of really good points in the chapter, but kind of goes back to Christian hospitality. I feel like, um, you know, and she points out something about kind of being engaged, basically walking this tightrope with emerging adults as far as these are the things that make us distinctively Christian, but we also want to build bridges to the culture. We're not against culture. Um, I think of Andy Crouch's book and his different postures towards culture that we can, we should critique culture, but we shouldn't just automatically condemn all culture. And sometimes that's what the, what the church does. Um, so we need to be bridge builders, not, uh, she didn't say this, but I'm thinking bridge burners. <laughs> uh, sometimes Christians want to burn the connections, um, you know, between the church and culture. But I think we have to, especially to reach emerging adults, I just think um, we can't always lead, you know, step with, you know, sometimes we talk about leading with this foot or leading with this belief or leading with, hey, be sure you know this is our stance on human sexuality. Or, hey, be sure you know that we don't approve of social drinking. Or, hey, like to lead with some of those things is is just not helpful. And honestly, those should not be things that that make us distinctively Christian. And for some denominations or Christian, you know, whatever churches, sometimes those things are the distinctives, um, unfortunately. So... I don't know. I still think with emerging adults, we really have to keep in mind, you know, I think what C.S. Lewis called sort of the primary and tertiary or the, the top shelf and the bottom shelf issues of these are the non-negotiables. This is the distinctively Christian stuff. Jesus is who he says he was. Jesus is Lord, God, Trinity, um, grace, salvation by faith alone uh, in Christ. Then there's some bottom shelf issues like, um, you know, some of the other things that denominations will often, you know, and those kind of things, I think, you know, if we focus and lead with those kinds of things, I just think college students, young adults are just like, uh, okay, whatever. But I also love that she emphasized this idea of having a porous kind of environment where we welcome young adults to come in and out. It's okay to be exploring and trying to figure things out. And we want you to know as a church, we'll be here for you. We want to walk with you through this. We're not making you sign a document like you believe all these things before you can hang out with us. So don't at me, oh, but she addresses at the front end here some issues that fundamental Christianity has had with completely withdrawing or a fundamental perspective at the very least, even if it's not like full on fundamental, like culturally Christianity, yeah, yeah, full of fundamentalism um, of withdrawal from culture instead of engagement with. And I, guys, we, we can talk about this later. We need to take this part out now that I'm about to say, if you want to, but I'm almost wondering if next time we need to come back to this chapter, we can decide if we want to do that or not. But I was I was very engaged by the conversation that that she had with pastors about their approach towards LGBTQ. 
And um, it's not something we've talked uh, about, we maybe mentioned, but not really talked about a lot. And I'm not trying to get us to right now, but that's in here and how those pastors navigate that and their conversations with young adults. Um, But here's the quote that kind of wraps what I've highlighted from the chapter up. And this is on page 199 pastors of churches reaching emerging adults combine high emotional intelligence on their part with the strength of their orthodox convictions you know you can uh, you can disagree with someone or maybe you have someone's living um but it doesn't mean that you don't uh care and and love them and people know the difference and people often will respect the difference i respect other people and they go i don't i don't agree with you but i but I love you and, you know, you're my brother um, or you're my sister. They might be my sister. I won't be their sister, but high emotional intelligence and the strength of their orthodox convictions. I think that's a really important conversation that happens and that she highlights a few different conversations with pastors uh, in this chapter with that. So we can decide if we want to next time come back around with chapter 13 and kind of polish off 12 before we wrap up the book and then yeah. uh, figure out what we're going to do next together, what we're going to journey through next together. So good getting into it with you. I've missed this with you guys. Same. Ready to take it out. Good stuff. Until next time. Something. Fail forward. Chris, you're, doing this. you're doing this on purpose, Chris. I don't have my- he doesn't have his glasses on. Don't blame him. He doesn't him. have his notes. Until next time, fail forward, be present, and be teachable. Was my oh. emotional intelligence not high enough for you to pick my- up on my like <laughs> verbal cues? My bad. Hey, I feel like you're being a- against my culture right now. <laughs> I'm discriminating <laughs> against, against your long haulers. <laughs> That's what I'm doing. So until next time. Hey. <laughs> Outtakes. Outtakes. Hey, fail. it's been it's fail been forward. Yeah. Until next time, fail forward, be present, and be teachable. Okay. Now when so. you just said be present, that's when your hand got closest to me. So that was confusing. But I'm fail forward. You have the notes? I should I do somewhere. I can't find them. There they would be in your notes. The notes would be in your notes on the MCAS. Well, notes. it's not your in my work, notes, it's in the shared thing. Yeah, your 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 words are fail forward. Okay. There it I'm, is. I got it. I'm just, I'm choosing to believe that you're doing this intentionally just to have fun with me. It is kind of fun. It is. You're, you're both kind of fun. Until next time. Fail forward. Be present. And be teachable. Peace. Peace.